This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Today's scripture passage is found in the book of James, chapter 2, starting at verse 14. What good, is it, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If someone, but someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Amen. Amen. The book of James is an incredibly uh, practical book. Um, and the reason James uh, gets so practical is because in reality, we all know it, uh, that faith works at the heart level. And because faith works at the heart level, often we don't know what actually happens in our hearts. Right? Many of us, uh, we're very uh, practically oriented, uh, very task-driven, and we love to be able to check off those, those tasks on our to-do lists. Uh, others of us, we love sports, and so we're trying to always measure, right? We're always trying to measure our speed. How much can we run faster? Can we do more weights? And because those are not at the heart level, right? Those are at the physical level. Uh, even school, it's at the mental level. So you can, you can actually be tested. How much do you know? Can you answer this question? And Christianity, it doesn't work at the physical level, it doesn't work at the mental level. Uh, it works at the heart level. And so James is immensely practical. When you read Paul, uh, the way that he writes, he wants you to understand the invisible. He wants you to understand the spiritual. He opens up that curtain of heaven and explains how the gospel works. But for us, in James, what he has for us is to understand what it looks like. You know, what we say we believe and how we actually live, the idea is that, that there's a connection. There is no longer a dichotomy, but there's a practical, you know, uh, living out of our faith. 
If you don't know, uh, Christians have been called uh, practical atheists, right? We're believers, we're theological believers, but practically atheists. That we don't consider God in our schedule. We don't consider God in a trial. We don't consider God in these things. So we're practically atheists. And what James does is makes Christianity now practical. If you believe this, then this is how you should live. So he's basically connecting the dots spiritually. And if you read James over and over and over, uh, what will happen is you'll be uncomfortable. You'll be uncomfortable spiritually. Because you'll start to wonder, do I believe? Why is there such a separation in how I should be living and how I actually live? Because faith, it works at the heart level. You know, uh, at our church, we say, Jesus changes everything. Uh, You've heard me say it. You've seen it plastered on our screens. If you come to our ministry office, we have it nicely designed. Jesus uh, changes everything. And uh, a pastor who was uh, with us for a couple of years, a a brother that I respect uh, greatly, uh, we would talk about that idea a lot. And, you know, he would tell me, you know, Joel, I... I appreciate your preaching. I appreciate, uh, you know, specifically how grace-saturated it is, how Christ-centered it is. And he would just say that he just really appreciates walking away with a clear understanding of grace and the gospel. But then he said this. But, you know, in my heart, even though you're saying uh, Jesus changes everything, uh, you know, he would say that in his heart he feels like what he's hearing is Jesus excuses everything. And I think that's what happens with a lot of us with grace. How do you understand grace? How do you understand works? And how does it all connect together in faith? And that's what James is talking about today. He wants you to understand clearly what grace is and then what works is. Because too often, in our faith, in Christianity, we get it mixed up. And so this whole idea is what so many people get wrong about the faith. How do you understand grace? And for me as a pastor, as a preacher, I'm reminding myself how it works all the time. Because as much as I believe Jesus changes everything, his grace, who he is, that he loves us first, how that changes everything, my natural inclination, my heart's inclination is to say, well, Jesus excuses everything. Because of grace, I could live whichever way I want. And James addresses that and nips it in the bud and helps us understand, okay, this is what faith looks like. And so as we begin, we're going to be beginning with the idea of misunderstanding faith. Tell your neighbor, don't misunderstand faith. Don't misunderstand faith. It is so easy for the nominal Christian, for the maturing Christian, for the scholar and pastor, to the most religious, it is so easy to misunderstand grace and works and how it all works together and the role of faith in it. So in verse 14, uh, follow along with me. Uh, What good is it, my, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? In every generation, 
and every culture that gospel enters in, there's gonna be people who call themselves believers, but that don't have the life that reflects it. In every culture, Korea, America, wherever you may be from, there will always be a people. And then he gives us the the clear example of what this would look like. Because for most of us, we think, well, he's not talking about me. But he might be, if this is true of you. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them uh, the things needed for, for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And what he's talking about is dead faith. A faith that is not alive. A faith that is not alive hears a prayer request, sees someone in need, and back in the day they would say, peace be with you. Today, what do we say? I'll pray for you. I remember uh, a pastor uh, going through some deep struggles and a friend, um, as he's sharing with a friend, uh, he just wanted comfort. But instead of being comforted, the friend for some reason takes a step back and says, let me pray for you. That's the idea of what kind of happens. We end up overly spiritualizing, thinking that it's all about the prayer and the Bible, which is absolutely important. But it's about something else as well. And that's what he's getting at. You see, what he's getting at is faith that is not lived is a faith that has not saved. And he's trying to nuance that to help us understand it on a heart level. If you do not live out your faith, that means the faith that you have will not save you. And he wants you to know that today as opposed to later. When you meet God, He wants you to know what works in your heart, the ways in which we can't see what goes on in here. He's trying to expose that, give you a window into your heart. If you do not live out your faith, chances are your faith that you have will not save you. And he's differentiating dead faith and living faith. And he continues on, uh, brings this example. uh, But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from, work, apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And if you know the Bible well enough, if you've read it enough, at this point, he should be a little bit uncomfortable because uh, he seems to be contradicting Apostle Paul. And when you read Paul, it seems like he's actually using words of Paul. But chances are James wrote his letter first, But what he is addressing is probably the same idea, that the apostles were teaching, that you're you're saved by grace alone through faith alone. So people are now saying, well, before we had to complete the law and do all these things, and now that we've heard from Jesus and his disciples, we were saved by grace alone through faith alone. So as that was being taught, there were people hearing it and then thinking, well, if Jesus changes everything, because if, his, if his grace is that, that free, then he must also excuse everything. It doesn't matter how I live. Great! That's probably what James is addressing. And the reason Paul and James, they sound so different, 
is because for, for Paul, he was, he was addressing legalists. Those who come from this strong, strict, uh, legalistic background. So he's trying to break down the idea of works righteousness, works salvation. So that's where he's coming from. So he's tr- clearly trying to teach uh, grace. You are saved by grace alone. But James, his audience is different. His audience are to what you would call libertines. The antinomian uh, type mentality. Well, if grace is free and he will accept me as I am, then I can live whichever way we want. And isn't that what we say when we know we're going to do something that we shouldn't do? It's okay. Jesus is gracious. This idea of James addressing libertines is actually something that Paul addresses as well. And so in another letter uh, that Paul writes to Titus, he sounds awfully a lot like James because he's addressing the same thing. In Titus 1, he says in verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. It's that idea. It's very easy to make Christianity about a bunch of things I need to do. And then when you understand the gospel, it's very easy to go the other extreme and think, well, if Jesus really has saved me by his life and death, if it's only by faith, because of his grace, what you start to think in your own sinful minds and hearts is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how I live. And so James helps you understand how evil that thinking is, how evil that thinking of if we're saved by grace through faith alone and it doesn't matter how I live, then James says to them in verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and what? Shudder. This is, I think, James's like mic drop moment. If you've never read James and this is your first time reading James, this will shock you. Because what he's just said is the gospel for the Jew. In verse 19, when he says, God is one, we, you say you believe God is one, it's a, it's a monotheistic faith. It was their confession. For us, our confession would be something along the lines of we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And what James is saying is, you believe that? Great. Even the demons believe that. He's saying, even if you know that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to die on your sins, and you know that, and you believe that, he would say, great, your faith is just like a demon. Why don't you go ahead and make a shirt that says, faith like a demon. That's what he's saying. That's how provoking it is. And so in verse 20, he says, you foolish person, right? Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Let me uh, be very, very clear. 
using James's words, this will sound like heresy. I don't think I've actually prepared this much for a sermon, FYI, because I needed to clearly, clearly understand what James is saying so that I can clearly communicate it to you. And this is what James is saying, using James's words. There is a kind of faith that does not save. There is a kind of faith that does not save. I can say this because another pastor, well-respected, has said it already. But hearing that, for me, I've always heard it as there's a counterfeit faith. There's a false faith. These, these are not what you would consider faith. But what language does James use? Dead faith. Let me ask you, if you go into your car today and it doesn't turn on, the battery has died. Let's say it's a junky car, it's just completely dead. Is it still a car? It's still a car. You would still think, looking at it, this is a car. So when you think about what James is saying, he's saying, it looks like faith, it smells like faith, but it could be dead, dead faith. What is this dead faith? Let me be even more clear. There's a kind of faith and an intellectual understanding of who God is that does not lead to salvation. And this is scary. This is thought-provoking. This should challenge you and definitely challenge you to be introspective. You should be asking, is this true of me? Do I have dead faith? Because in the Bible, it is also very clear that you're saved by grace alone through faith alone, like John 3, 16, that we all know God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Whoever, whoever what? Believes in him, uh, you shall not perish but have eternal life. Many of us heard this. Many of us came to faith because of it. They said, as long as you believe, you will be saved. All true. But what is the assumption? That the faith that you have is not a dead faith, it's a living faith. A faith that moves, a faith that has life. So in verse 14, as we go back, what's he saying? Can that faith, if you look back, you start to realize James is being very particular of a certain kind of faith that does not save. Can that faith save him? Again, you may be uncomfortable because you feel like this is, is, this, is this the gospel. Well, well, let me use John's words. He just said that if you believe in him, you shall not perish but have eternal life. In the chapter before, in John 2, he says, uh, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many, what, believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But what does Jesus say? But Jesus on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Why wouldn't he entrust himself to them? They believe, because Jesus also knows there's a kind of belief that does not save. John 8, later on, Jesus, Jesus, and he was saying these things. Many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. Shouldn't he just say, you believe in me, you are my disciples? He doesn't. 
He says, you believe in me. Now listen, abide, and then you'll be called my disciples. Uh, Luke uses this language, this doctor. And he uses, he explains the, the parable of the four, four soils in this way. And, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. What's the word? They believe for a while in time of testing and fall away. The Bible is clear. And we may have never really taken these words seriously because, again, you have heard you are saved by grace alone through faith alone, which is true. But it's grace alone through living faith alone. If you have dead faith, that faith has no works, it has no power to save. What James would say is that faith is useless. He is clear. It's not that James and Paul, that they're contradicting each other, or they're, they're fighting each other. What they are doing is they're on the same team battling different arguments of the gospel. Well, you can only go to heaven if you're good enough. And so Paul explains very clearly, this is how you are actually saved. He explains the gospel. You're, great, you're saved uh, through grace alone, through faith alone. And then to the, to the lawless. Oh, if that's true, I can live whichever way we, we want. And so James and also Paul and Titus, what he says is, that's not true either. You have to have a living faith, a faith that is alive. It moves, it breathes, it has a heartbeat, it has a desire. Just because we're saved by grace alone does not mean that our faith should remain alone. Faith that does not lead to works is a faith that does not work. And so if you look back on your life and you think, are you compassionate? Do you help people in need? Are you generous to those who are in need? Then you start to realize, okay, there's a part of me. It's alive. But others of you, when you look at your financial statement, your bank account, if it's been 100% on you and you haven't been generous with your finances, you haven't been generous with your time, I really think Paul would have you reconsider, do you have a living faith or a dead faith? Just like the demons, you know that Jesus is the Son of God. Just like the demons, you know who he is. The demons have more theological knowledge than you. And when they hear the word God, they shudder, right? It's like the hyenas of the Lion King, right? Mufasa, right? God. Christ. And for us, how do we treat God? This is thought-provoking. Because a faith that does not lead to works is a faith that does not work. In Hebrews 11, this well-known passage where it describes all the fathers of the faith, all these, these, these patriarchs of the faith, And in that passage, as it talks about Abraham's faith and Jacob's faith and Moses' faith, it doesn't say they believed and they were considered righteous. It says they had faith and then explains what they did because they had a faith that moved. Abraham, because he had faith, offered up his son. Sarah, likewise, because she had faith, she offered up her son. 
It explains the faith by the actions. And so I challenge you, tonight, reflect back on the last week, the last month. Have you been generous with your time? Have you been generous with your finances? Do you have a longing in your heart to be more compassionate? If we don't, then I challenge you and invite you to take a deep and hard look. Do I have this living faith, this heartbeat in my soul that desires to, that longs to love others? There's a misunderstanding in our faith that we all have to be very aware of. That just like you get into a car and it's dead and you don't realize it's dead until you turn it on, try to live this way. If it turns on, if you want to live this way more and more and more, chances are you have that faith. That thing that you can't see, you have it. But if you don't want to, it's like... uh, you know, Weekend at Bernie's, it's that, that movie. I haven't seen it, but it's about, the, the whole premise is there's a guy who's actually dead, and you know, these two guys just pretend that he's alive. It's like the idea of moving dead weight. If you ever, if you ever wrestled with anyone, or if, you ever actually, well, if you're ever with anyone who's actually fainted, to try to actually lift that person up is extremely challenging. That's the idea. If you have dead faith, Going to church and being church is a chore. Reading the Bible is a chore. Oh, I should do this. My wife keeps on nagging me to do this. Well, it may be a wake-up call that you have a dead faith and not a living faith. Because a living faith has a power, the power of faith. So he, he continues on now, now helping us understand what the misconception is of faith and then helps us understand the power in a living faith. Was not Abraham, our father, justified? And again, these words, it's almost as if James was either very intentional of what Paul would say or was teaching, or the other way around, Paul was very intentional to use his James's words, because it's very thought-provoking, because they use the same words. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he, when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith, again, it's very particular, that faith, I would say that living faith was active along with his works. And living faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by dead faith alone. In Romans Uh, Paul uses this language of Abraham being justified. And in uh, in those verses, again, Paul is very clear what that means. Justified faith means you are declared righteous. Just as the paramedics would declare somebody dead at a certain point, the idea of being justified by faith for Paul, for Abraham, is you are declared. God declares you like a judge. You are innocent. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are forgiven. And the way that James is using it is he's using it, the idea of justified in light of the judgment day. Right? Just in the chapter previous, he was talking about the judgment day. And in that, what he's talking about 
is, in that day, how are you justified on judgment day? Paul's talking about salvation, a here and now. James is talking about that day that you'll be judged. And as, as I mentioned last week, on that day, you, Christian, will be judged, not just by your faith, but how you live. It's, again, very clear, and I mentioned it all last week, of how that all works out. And so what James is saying here is for Abraham, yes, he was, he was justified because of his faith, declared righteous, but on judgment day, what God will do is not just look at his faith, but how he lived. That's why so many Christians get it wrong. Because we think, okay, if I'm saved today, it doesn't matter how I live. But on the judgment, that day, Jesus will look at your life. And by your life, there will be evidence of whether you lived and whether you believed. What, the, what he will declare on that day is you had living faith. I saw you sacrifice your time. I knew that you were tired. But you wanted to live this way and you lived sacrificially. And God will say, I saw that. And it's because of not your own righteousness, but because of the, the Holy Spirit given to you, put in you. And because of that heartbeat, that life, you want to now live. And for others, what will happen is Jesus will say, even though you said, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, what will he say? I do not know you. Heavy words. It's the idea of you're justified because you've demonstrated your faith. You see, living faith has the power to enable you to live a life of obedience. Like that movie, Weekend at Bernie's, right? Sometimes you may feel like your faith is dead, but there is that desire underneath. You want to. You're fighting for it. You're desperate for it. You don't know how to live, but the desire is there. Others of you, the desire may not be there. And to you, James is saying, wake up. You may have a car, but that car is dead. You may have a faith, but that faith is dead. Because living faith has inherent power. There is a, there is a power within. It has a heartbeat. It moves. Why? Because that living faith has united you to God. And because it's, you're now united to God, that Holy Spirit lives, you now have the power to fight sin. You now have the power to be generous because now this living God is in you. So he uses Abraham as a father of faith, as this, as this model example that he sacrifices the most, most important thing that he cherishes. He cherishes his son and he's willing to sacrifice his son. Then what's the next example? Rahab. It doesn't fit. It should be Abraham and then maybe Isaac or Abraham and then maybe Jacob or Moses or David. But what does, what's James getting at? All of you know Abraham, what he has done. But now let me tell you, it's not about works. Because this prostitute named Rahab is considered faithful. Is considered one having faith. So now he's even more thought-provoking, isn't he? Because if it was by works righteousness, she does one good thing, and she's saved. Then what that would mean is, okay, I just need to do one good thing, and God will consider me uh, saved. But that's not the point, 
right? In verse 25, Rahab the prostitute, he goes out of his way to name who she is, Rahab the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The idea is whether you're a patriarch of the faith or whether you're a prostitute, whether you've been to church your whole life or this is the first time, whether your sin is favoritism, like we mentioned last week, or you've had an affair, you've lived licentiously, you've gone as dark as you can. The idea is living faith has the power to transform both Abraham and Rahab. Living faith has the power to change the the patriarch and also the prostitute. It has the power to challenge the godly and also the ungodly. It's the power of faith. Genuine faith has a faith in a real God. Not just mentally, but in your heart. You have claimed him to be yours. He is someone that you trust. You see, the demons, they shudder. It's obedience, not obedience, but it's, it's a reaction out of fear. When you have dead faith, it's a, it's a momentary obedience. Oh, if I'm going to go to hell, then I'll, I'll go to church for a little bit. Okay, I'll read the Bible for a little bit. But then it doesn't end up working out. Why? Because it's a motivation out of fear. But for Abraham, for Rahab, Abraham sacrifices his most cherished possession, his son. Rahab risks her life. What's it saying? In their hearts, they're not now driven by fear. They're driven by love. They want to live for God. They want to love God. And that is why this power of faith, what it will do is transform you where now you start to live out the purpose of why God has given you this faith, the purpose of faith. Going back to verse 15, the test is, how do you know you have faith? In verse 15, 16, it shows that you are generous, you are kind, you are giving to those who are in need. You make this your life work. You don't simply say, okay, I'll pray for you. No, you look into your bank account. You think about, okay, how can I help this brother out? How can I help this sister out? Because in verse 18, what does it say? You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. What God would ask of you is to have you not look inside your heart, but look inside this past week, this past month. Show me your faith by your works. I know that's a heavy message, but it's what the Bible says. And my hope is for some of us, if we were sleeping, we are now awake. Because the natural uh, maturation process of faith, it's like, you know, like a caterpillar, right? The idea is, it's a caterpillar, right? A caterpillar, you know, the, mat- the natural maturation process is it goes into a cocoon and becomes a butterfly, right? That's like the natural process of what should happen. If it doesn't become a butterfly, we would say something is wrong with that. And that, that's the idea of faith. If your faith does not lead you to love, there is something wrong with our faith. The natural maturation process of faith is a heart transformed to love. And if we do not love, if we struggle to love, if we like being self-centered and we want to live our lives building our own kingdom, then what it's saying is 
Faith has not, you do not have living faith. Uh, I remember uh, talking to uh, a couple of youth students a while back. And this just, uh, there was a a brother and sister. And and the older one, uh, he was clearly disgruntled with life. Uh, he always had this, this mentality of, of, you know, life sucks and everything is so bad and all of this. And so I would get to know him and never really was able to get through. I talked to the younger sister as well and just always had a hard time, you know, getting through to them. One day I was having a conversation with them and, and what I knew of, you know, their parents is they seemed like they had pretty good parents, especially the mother. The mother would uh, come to church, you know, regularly. She would always come to morning prayer and she would be very devoted. I mean, the church would clearly think of this person as a godly, godly woman. And as I talked to the children, I started to understand why they had so many issues because their, their home system, it wasn't set up in a way where they felt and cared for because the father was always on a business trip and he was gone basically for weeks at a time. So the mother would be home and the mother was a stay-at-home mom. So you would think that she would have all this time for the kids. But as I talked to them, what was so surprising is you know, I asked them, well, you have a wonderful mom. She loves you. It's clear that she loves you. And then the younger one, she says, how do you know my mom loves me? I'm like, well, she's, she's godly. Like, I could tell that she's got this walk with God. And she says, yeah, she's godly. Every night from 7 p.m. to when I go to sleep, she just goes into her room and she prays. She never has time for me. And that's when I start to realize there's something very, very wrong with this person's faith. I am not calling her an unbeliever But what I'm saying is faith, the way that it should work out, you know, our reading of the Bible, our time with the Lord, our praying, our our doing church together, that is not the works that James is talking about. That's all the, the faith component. It strengthens your faith. The doing church and reading the word and praying, what it should do, the end result is love. You spend more time with people. You care for people. What does Jesus do? This is what's so remarkable remarkable about Jesus. He would wake up early in the morning to pray. Because what? He loves the Lord. He loves the Lord God. But then what would he do? He would spend most of his ministry, most of his waking hours with his disciples. Right? Twelve disciples that just, you know, didn't get it. But he spent time with them. That was his main ministry. Yes, we have all his teachings, but his teachings comprise only a short amount of time in Jesus' life. Jesus spent his life with people. I want you to pray. I want you to read the word. I want you to have a deep relationship with God. But I want that faith to mature and for it to lead to loving and serving and caring for others. How do you know you have living faith? You do that. How do you know if you don't live in this way right now that you want to, that you are repentant, that you'll do what you can 
to make it right with God. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.